Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to their level, and why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry and to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. This episode has been brought to you by our sponsor, Appadeal, an all-in-one growth platform for mobile app creators of any size. While you have probably heard about Appadeal as a mediation solution, it has already expanded into much more than that. Appadeal unlocks access to a new generation of advanced business intelligence tools, including LTV forecasting, user acquisition and creative automation, and of course, the mediation platform that can work out of the box or be managed manually. Being one of the very few independent platforms left in the market, Appadeal delivers unbiased solutions for mobile app creators to establish and scale their businesses rapidly. Sign up at appadeal.com. Today, I am super excited to have with me Baketa, my friend and also a long-time professional that I've worked at Rovio in the past in Finland. So to tell more about Baket, Aida Ralieva is a product management and player experience executive with more than nine years of experience supporting players, leading teams and building tools in companies like Supercell, EA, Playraven, and Rovio in the Finnish game industry. Among the hit mobile games Baket has worked with our heyday, Clash of Clans, Boom Beach, and SimCity build. She has also built player support and community functions in two startups, the latest company being Playraven that was acquired by Rovio and the creator of Angry Birds brand. In her free time, Bucket provides career and life coaching services, is an avid traveler and enjoys running half marathons and cooking with her partner. So hi, Vakita. How have you been? Hi, Sophie. I've been great, actually. Enjoying the summer that just arrived to Finland, finally. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I still have those vivid memories of summer in Finland. It's so green, colorful. I miss it a bit. It's really nice, especially after long winters and dark winters, to finally have summer in June. <laughs> it's been really good. I just came from a run. It looks great outside, so... Welcome to come back to visit. Totally. I was planning as well to come back. Summer is like my favorite time. But yeah, good memories. Yeah, let's not talk about the winter. <laughs> yes. I'd like to start with what you are excited about, right? What is it that you either working on personally or professionally that you feel really excited? Can you tell us more? So beginning of this year, I decided to take a sabbatical and currently I'm working on a personal project related to coaching, really building kind of a project for women regarding relationships, femininity, partnership theme. So I'm getting women into kind of this group mentoring coaching session work for a month and a half program. So I'm really excited about it because it's something that is really close to my heart. A lot of things that I went through as a career woman who haven't had a relationship for a long time. And at some point I realized that that's something that I really need to work on. I have been always focused more on my career, kind of work first mindset. And at some point I realized that my personal life was lagging. 
I lost that balance at some point. So I really had to take a step back and focus on some other parts of my life. And I'm realizing more and more that there are so many career women who have the same kind of issues that they're dealing with, that have a little bit of this imbalance in life when it comes to personal relationship and now their personal life. So I have been researching, really working on myself, working with coaching, and I really want to give back and teach what I know and help women in that sense that from the point of view of where I have grown to. That sounds super exciting and inspiring. And I can relate a lot about that in the mission you're having with also what I started with a podcast, Rise and Play, in a way like elevating women, but also leaders and being the best version of ourselves, like allowing to be ourselves and to be whole. Mm -hmm. Let's dive directly into this personal project, because of course here we are here also to talk about games, but I'm really also mm -hmm. curious about how this realization came to you as you have a very big career in player experience, uh, amazing track record in companies and big games. What was the, I don't know, light bulb moment that made you realize I'm looking for something else I want to explore and I'm exploring really a different path here because it is away from game is more focused on people and you seem to have also a very clear vision of where you want to go and why. So could you tell us what was the whole process to get there? From early, early ages, I was always in like student groups and student government, being a minister of culture, organizing events. And I have, I think, always been a person who always needs to be learning something new and have challenges and have some achievements. And when I came to games industry, I had the same mindset. So I've gotten into that loop in my career And my personal life, my love life has always been in the kind of the second thing that I never really actively thought about it. It was always something that assumed always that it will just come on its own. The years are going by, I think <laughs> by this point, like 35, 36 years old. I'm the oldest in my family. All my friends are getting married and all my colleagues are getting married, kind of building their personal lives. And yes, I have been growing in my career, going to great companies, working on great projects. And I really felt like I can go and work anywhere I want. I can just choose where I want to go with the experience and knowledge that I have by this point. But what I realized is that something is missing. I'm not focusing enough on something. Why is that? And I really started questioning myself, like, why don't I have a relationship that I always wanted? Family has always been very important for me, but somehow I'm not missing that part. And I've always thought that my life is pretty balanced because I have hobbies, I have friends, I have, yes, my parents, my family, I have good relationship with everyone. But that's one piece was missing. So I, at some point I had to just really question myself, be honest with myself and try to figure out. And that's when I started to really dig deep in myself and really try to work on not just my professional self, not my just career self, but myself as a woman, myself as a human being. What do I want? What are my values? And what am I doing with them? I haven't done anything to work on myself. When you're trying to get a job or work on your career, you always focus on the 
aspects of what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, what are the things that I need to work on, what is my goal, where do I want to be in five years, these kind of things. But when it comes to personal life, you know, when building a relationship, your communication skills, I think it's a lot to do with uh, being emotionally intelligent, really having the best communication skills regarding that. I was not very good at that at all. I wasn't very good at recognizing my feelings, how to communicate my feelings. I was always a brain person. I was always good at speaking up my mind, speaking up when I need to, problem solving, these kind of skills. I think that's what helped me to excel in a lot of the things that I did in my work life. But some of the soft skills I really had to like focus on. And it's actually a harder work than focusing on the hard skills so much deep thinking and introspection on the things you share, having the courage to look inwards, like, what do I need to change and what do I want? So it's very inspiring to hear about this and taking the steps, right? These soft skills that maybe we don't develop so much professionally and where the personal life is having a cost of it, of underdeveloped emotional intelligence, empathic communication, expressing your feelings. I would even argue here that there are very good skills even to use in a professional environment as the expectations are changing quite a lot in the workplace. I was listening to a podcast this morning about this generation of depression and burnout and why is it happening like at a more systemic level. And with the COVID pandemic, even the war recently, everybody mm -hmm. thinks more in depth and seriously about their mortality. Our time is limited and Everything can stop tomorrow, right? So then the expectations are changing as well, whether it's work or personal, like how do I want to spend my time, in which environment, in which way. So I think here what you are talking about, I believe will have a great place in the future of work based on the expectation of people, how they want to spend time in their work. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the COVID and this wars context really gave people all around the world a lot of time to think about kind of comparison and context to life overall. And of course, I want to point out that, yes, I mean, the wars have been happening in different parts of the world. And I think some people have been having this perspective more than others in other parts of the world. But I think it's always a good thing to really have this realization of life can be long, but it's also short at the same time. Time has to be spent with quality on what we love to do and really having the conscious mindset of how we want to live our life. Because yes, at some point of our life, we get excited about certain things, we make achievements, but at the end of the life, if we're really going to be happy with everything we've done, I think that's when you realize what is the priority. Of course, we are enjoying in the moments, uh, most things that we do, the people we spend time with, the travels we do, some work, some hobbies, but you really can't do everything at the same time. So I think you have to prioritize. And the key to really realizing that is to think, okay, when I'm in my deathbed, am I really going to be happy with all the actions? Will I feel fulfilled with how I lived my life? And I think that's what gives clarity. Yes, the war context and all of this is really helpful. But also I think 
for me, what was really important to realize was both of my grandfathers passed away last year. Mm. And it made me realize that that generation is gone. We are here as the grandchildren to really kind of live, continue their life. It made me really reflect on their life, how they have lived. They're both actually shepherds and horse wranglers. Like in Kyrgyzstan, I grew up going to the mountains and spending my summers with my grandparents. And they have been these simple people who take care of their animals, breeding horses, that kind of life. It's a big contrast of how I live my life, you know, living in tech world, building games. At some point, I couldn't really explain what I do for a living. What do I do for my career to people who haven't really had that kind of experience or they just got to know how to use a mobile phone and things like that. I think it's good to think of life as a whole. And in work life, we spend so much time working. Like most of our day, we are in the office or working from home and the projects with our companies and in the working life that it's really important to enjoy to the people you work with, the teams that you work with. I really try to do that. I think I didn't always have that mindset, but along the way, I realized how important it is to work with the right people. And even then, if the environment is not right, then you can also try to lead it that way, that the environment becomes right. You can always influence people. You can always lead the way to make it better. Try to bring that kind of cultural aspects to create that environment in the teams you work in. So these are really the small things how you greet people in the morning when you get to work and how do you go for lunches and how you eat together and when you stop working and when something happens in your team member's life, you really give the time for them to kind of take the time off when they need to really kind of being empathetic because we are all in this together and everyone has the potential to become the best person they can be. We just need to have that empathy and like understanding of our own feelings and others. I think there's a lot of things that get into the way, our own fears, our own jealousy, maybe a lot of things that kind of can ruin that uh, maybe some toxic environments and everything. But I think it's all solvable with the right mindset and right approach to really bring it to be the best it can be. Yeah, and it's a lot of like... My own passion and focus about creating healthiest, even effective culture, right? Based on understanding human needs, how we interact, what we need in this stage, either of life or a phase with a current world context. And then let's take a step back as we talked about teams and you touched a bit on your vision of teams, culture, maybe to get this timeline right. You were the head of player experience at Rovio. Mm -hmm. Did you have a team there? What was your mission? Can you maybe talk more about the role and the mission you had and the work you've been doing with teams or with game teams? So my role and mission in Rovio has been to build the player experience tools and bring the player experience perspective into game development from the design perspective and really work with the different teams like player support, community, user experience and marketing to really have that holistic approach into building games. I worked with one of the biggest game projects there, developing player experience and live ops and QA kind of tool to support the games that we have. 
And it has been really important to have this kind of tools because there has been so many times when customer support has to deal with players or with compensations or fix some of the player accounts and you don't have the tools. So the developers or the server engineers really doing manual work and then the customer support or the community has to do some manual work. What my approach has been is to really develop the tools that we need for each game more custom to really tackle that problem, have efficient tooling from the design stage for all the features of the game that would really ensure player safety and making sure that as the end result, players are well taken care of. And I really worked with different teams throughout Rovio with all the tech leads to really build a tool that would be scalable for all the future games and current games with all the basic and custom built features for all different types of games. So this has been, I can say, good success as we are using the tooling that we've built with different games throughout Rovio now. It's been an unusual project having a dedicated team to building a tool within a company. But it has been also, I think, quite rewarding because I've had so many customer support team members, also producers from different games and QA teams who really came and just <laughs> thinking that, hey, it's been so helpful to soft launch the game or global launch the game as there was this tooling. I don't know how we would have done it without it. It's been like really efficient to deploy some of the game deployments that we had to do. So I didn't know actually also by player experience, I was thinking for some reason, like really focused more on uh, player support part, but actually what you revealed is really connecting basically all the parts and the different teams that are impacting the player experience, which means everything, right? Part of the game. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, not all the organizations or game teams have mm-hmm. a dedicated team or a head of focus on player experience as is, right? So I can imagine here a challenge of being heard or of having the priorities between what maybe QA wants, what design wants, what tech wants. Could you explain as well how you could make this work with your mission that it would not interfere with the mission of other craft and teams, as I often see as well part of a challenge when you have something cross-function that needs to lift the whole game And then sometimes they have their own mission or agenda and it just doesn't work, right? So how did you manage this? Yeah, I think we first showed the proof of concept, basically, because we started this tooling project when I was still at PlayRaven. I was leading a small team that was building this tool. So we had that already. And when we came to Rovio, we wanted to make sure, is this something that we can reuse or we can build? Does it already exist that we can use another tooling for the games that we're building? We built it. And once we built the main features, we also wanted to make sure that it's scalable for future games, different type of games with the feature set would work as a plugin also for QA teams, for customer support, with different user permissions that we can also allow this tool to work for external teams. So once we had the prototypes and with the first game releases, we had that working already. Once we had that set there, We had other game teams who saw it and they were like amazed and they wanted to be part of it. So it actually grew from that point. But in the beginning, I didn't have this plan that it would be used all over Rovio with other games. The interest came 
because they really didn't have that kind of tooling that would really help them from different aspects also for QA and customer support and also for live operations, deploying live campaigns and live updates. These kind of things, they were a little bit manual with some data like time delays and things like that. We really tried to tackle that by making it real time with no delays for all the campaigns to make sure that we have all the scalability and easy integration. We really try to tackle these questions and find the best solutions. And in the end, we made agreements that, yes, let's do it. Also unify some server architectures throughout the company so we can actually use it in the future for new games. And that would actually make it easier. You know, the studio leads, they really gave a big goal. I think they saw the potential. I think they saw the value in it because that would really cut some work Mm -hmm. from the use of server developers because, you know, backend developers are always in demand. They're hard to find. But then if you look at what you're doing, sometimes they're spending their time on the work that could be actually automated. Previously, we had five people in the room every week have a meeting to deploy one live event after we built the tool. I was doing the deployment with a push of a button with some settings that I had to do with a tool. Yeah, it's a good case study if you want to apply this in an organization and reflecting on what you shared. Starting, of course, with a proof of concept or something to make it tangible what you're offering, a prototype. I think it's always good because otherwise... It's just words and I had roles as well as product managers and it's always like a constant negotiation of priorities of project. And another part I see in what you have shared is also the communication, the ability to communicate, to understand the needs and how what you may build will help and support the goals of each team, right? So, which is a completely different type of work that is not technical, but it's a lot into coordination, communication alignment, mm-hmm. having people in the room, having discussions and alignment and the buy-in, very important to make this happen, right? So it's taking also a different type of skills here that are not just technical, but a lot of soft skills, which is good to acknowledge here for this type of role when you want to have a tool across functions. So taking here even further step back, I was curious how you got into games. So I understand you come from Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. How did you get into games? And also, how did you get into what I call the bag of player experience, but you started also player support and so on? Could you walk us through this journey? Coming to games for me has been quite by chance. So I come from, yes, from Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. I was born and grew up there up until 18. I studied in the U.S. I studied political science, completely unrelated to games. (laughs) After I finished my studies in the U.S., I had hopes that I would be working with international organizations or political organizations. I did actually some internships and summer jobs in local governments and congresswoman's office in Denver and really wanted to see how it is in, in a working life. And what I realized was that I actually don't want to be in politics. I don't want to be mm-hmm. working with governments. It was slow. You know, it was very interesting to be there at that point of time because it was the time when Barack Obama was just elected as a president and I was a Democratic Congresswoman's office. So it was very busy and lots of interesting work going on. But I realized that I want something more. I want something more fast-paced. 
something that's more result oriented. And around the time I had to move to Finland because my family was living here. So I made that decision that I will live here close to my family and I will find a job, whatever it is here. In Finland, there hasn't been so many political or international organizations back then. And I started looking for a job in other industries. I didn't have so much knowledge about games either, but I had a friend who was an avid player, actually. And at some point he told me that games are the same great business organizations as any other They have all the different disciplines. You can actually work in games too. So that made me really consider games. Mm -hmm. And I started looking for the games companies. And one of them was Supercell <laughs> here in Helsinki. And I applied. So I got the job as a customer support specialist. And I realized that I really love it because it was a creative environment. It was very fast paced, that in mobile games, everything happens really fast, new updates, a lot of things happening. So that really gave me the feeling that, okay, I am in the right place. I want to be here. Like tech is up and coming and mobile games were growing. It was, I think, 2012, still starting to build up that great growth. So I really enjoyed it. I had a customer support background. So throughout my student years, I worked as a waitress in restaurants. Mm -hmm. I worked as a travel agent, sales agent in companies. So I worked <laughs> with customers a lot, face to face and also by phone. So that background, I think, helped me to be in games because they were really looking for someone with those skills was customer support and language skills because Russian was something that was needed to localize the game into the region. And I think that's where I saw my skills being used well here. So that's quite by chance and maybe accidental, but I think somehow it really fulfilled everything that I was looking for. Maybe this will be a difficult question, but I'm sure you have reflected on that. You've been also working in quite prestigious organization, right? Supercell, EA, so Play Raven, then later acquired by Rovio. And I was curious from your own journey and what it meant for you from each of those organizations, what key learning did you get from being in those places and what made you transition from one state to another? Always growing or always learning mindset. I think I'm also a little bit ambitious. I wanted to have a kind of a leadership position. I always thought to myself, like, why not? What is it that I cannot do that, for example, other leaders are doing what am I lacking what can I do and what can I not do so that kind of maybe self-drive you know I'm sometimes very restless I have to do something well and once I do it I really want to learn something new challenging so I'm always looking for something new to learn and challenge myself and the key learnings I mean Yeah, these have been really valuable experience being in Supercell, you know, and I now realize what a great opportunity and great kind of luck it has been on the first go to be in such an organization. But what I learned from all these organizations, big and small, is that it's really important to work with the right people, have the right environment, and it's really what sets you for your growth. I could have stayed in these organizations longer if there was an opportunity for growth. Of course, there has been opportunities in other countries, but 
my positioning was so that I wanted to stay in Finland. I moved a lot as a student, different towns and cities. So I wanted to kind of settle a little bit. And what I was looking for to grow in my career, but stay in Helsinki. I saw that moving to another company is the only growth path for me. But the key learnings is that the people are really important who you work with. I think it's always good to make sure in the interview process who you're going to be working with, your supervisor, your team settings. I think in the beginning of the career, it always feels like you are trying to get the job and they kind of have the upper hand. But it's good to realize that you are also giving your time and efforts and your skills. It's an actually like a 50-50 work that you have to really realize. And you always have to choose the battles because it's great to work in a small organization because I think you have a lot of ownership in different areas and you have to wear different hats and you get to learn a lot of things actually by working in a small organization. But when there's fast growth, it's really hard to have grabs of how to manage all of that and in a larger organization like EA it's actually quite great because all the different functions are set you can get all the help you need you just have to reach out but then there's the bureaucracy part and then there's the organizational process that you have to go through and then that personal touch when dealing with customers as players that kind of gets lost in the middle it's not the big organizations are great or small organization. It's really on the preference and also like really be in different game teams and kind of different cultural settings and also having a little sense of this failure as well. Because in the beginning of my career, I realized working with Supercell, EA, I only worked with successful projects. All the games that were so successful that I never really had to think about how games are made, what is making these games work great. But after EA, I decided to join a startup to build customer support and community functions. And the games that were being built didn't do well. And the company, it doesn't exist now. So it made me realize, actually, to really learn (laughs) what are the numbers you know what are the marketing campaigns what are the parts in the game that are making it work or not work so that's when i think really realized i think in games industry or in tech overall there's always talk about learning from failure i never really (laughs) experienced it myself until i think to that point when i decided to go to like smaller startup organizations There's a lot of great learnings and wisdom you've shared in those past experiences, and I try as well here to summarize it from what you shared. I think a point of reflection as well for me, I've been to mid-sized organization, and even this, I could always have my heart balanced between having support to scale and grow fast, because I know this reality when you have something that works. And time to market is important, is critical. And when you're not ready and you're struggling, this can be a pain. And I think this is part of a reality when you go in a smaller organization. But the autonomy, ownership, independence is amazing. So I think it's realistic to say you cannot have it all, but what is the most important for you? And I've also been in a large organization where Personally, for me, it has just been too much, the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and going over layers because 
I like a core group to work with and I identified this as well through my career. So I think it's really good as well with this mindset of learning and growing like you have had through your journey to be open. I will learn something new and I will learn more about what I want and what I don't want, right? It is counterintuitive to go for something that is less successful because you can keep going and hoping on things that work, right? But purposefully going for something that is risky and is likely to fail, I think presenting it again as an area of growth because you learn different things, different problems, different challenges, and you grow personally is also very insightful in how to approach basically your own journey of growth. So I'm reflecting as well on what you shared. It's it's a really rich journey, even now reflecting with your time at Rovio with new other challenges after the acquisition and now exploring the coaching journey. You know, it's a very rich journey, something you can feel really proud of. Thank you. Yes, I, I think so. I think we spend more energy on when we are maybe bored or doing something that doesn't interest us mm, yeah then when we are doing something that's we are passionate about even when we are really busy with it so whenever i feel like i'm getting bored or i'm doing the same thing or repeating myself i get this restlessness that i need to learn i need to do something more challenging so it's this part of me that I want to do something meaningful and I want to do something useful for others. But at the same time, I need to keep learning. Sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you exactly plan. I think you just have to set forward your foot to do something, take a challenge and go forward with a belief that everything will turn out good in the end. A lot of points to reflect on. I really appreciated the conversation we have had today where even for me, like it always like unlock some uh, new thoughts, like where am I? What do I want to do? What have I learned? And what is it that I haven't learned yet that I feel excited about? I think this checking in with yourself when you see yourself in a boredom state, not growing, stagnating in a way, uh, mentally, you know, intellectually, even in energy. Uh, I think this is like a slow internal death. We have to be driven with energy. And when we don't have this, it's like, why are we here? Yeah, a lot of things to reflect on. And as we reach also the end, of, unfortunately, of our conversation today, I feel we could like go so much in depth about all this topic. I want to ask you personally, for you, what is your definition of success? I think success for me is actually just being happy. Having something that I'm doing is fulfilling. Having good friends and my family around me and having a balanced life, enjoying what I do, and being around good people. I think success is always is around money, but it's something that will come if you work the smart way. Happiness ultimately is the success at the end of the day, at the end of the life. So I try to focus on it <laughs> to keep things balanced. Yes, I was about to comment on this. Is it's like diet and sport. You have to work for it every day until the last day of your life, right? And it's something to strive for. It's not something you can achieve and just rest, right? So it's more like a North Star. Well, thanks a lot, Bakita, for the conversation today. I think we touched on a lot of topics that not necessarily just games here, but really mindset about teams and how to grow personally and live a great life, being whole, full and conscious. So very inspiring and thanks a lot. Thanks, Sophie. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, 
Rate and review the podcast. Spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time, 